This is the Sunday on which we celebrate the transfiguration of the Lord. And so our readings from Scripture this morning have to do with transformations and transfigurations. So our Old Testament reading comes to us from 2 Kings. It's the story of Elijah's transformation, his uh, calling forth from this life of prophetic witness to a new chapter of prophetic witness. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The reading that I promised from the New Testament is from the Gospel according to Mark. In the ninth chapter, beginning at the second verse, there it is written, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. 
And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This account of Jesus' transfiguration is one that we are directed to each year at roughly the same time, just before we get to enter the season of Lent. Some of you may have heard this story a time or two dozen before. I find it both fascinating and mystifying, but I appreciate the way that it transports us to a place and a time when we can vicariously experience having at once one foot in two different realms. We, we have here an occasion where Jesus is revealing a truth in a very teachable moment. And he, as he so often seems to be doing throughout the gospel accounts, he accomplishes this both in the concrete and the abstract. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus makes a point of using parables in his teaching. He would tell a story, and that story would have it in it multiple dimensions or layers and he would tell a truth about one thing while pointing to a truth about another. His healings too were multi-dimensional. He wouldn't only cure a person's physical ailment, but at the same time he would point to something else that was happening. He would point to a wholeness that was being visited upon this person of an entirely greater magnitude, one which no one else could see. It was no surprise that many, perhaps most folks around him, missed grasping the whole picture. Even those who were closest to the Master didn't possess special insight into the truth of his claims about himself until they were taken by the hand and shown Nathaniel, Thomas, Paul. They had to see before they would believe or more fully believe in Jesus. Even then, it was still a struggle at times, I believe, Lord. Help thou my unbelief. The power of Jesus' teaching through parables is demonstrated throughout the Gospels. The making of a point about some truth while at the same time pointing to something even greater was a gift that Jesus frequently shared. As we read about his life's work, we can see many examples of such a teaching style being employed. There's this literal aspect and there is this metaphorical aspect. Both of them are true at the very same time. As I was 
rereading this morning's account of the transfiguration, I was struck by that sort of thing going on in this morning's text. Jesus, we are told, is changed here. It's recorded that his physical appearance changed. His countenance, his attire, he appeared to those who knew him best to be radically changed on the basis of more than two reliable witnesses attesting to this fact, we can pronounce a judgment of true to this remarkable and most unexpected transfiguring. Even beyond the realms of the senses, something happened up there on the mountain. Jesus' companions are offered a glimpse of their rabbi's divine nature. This was a, a revelation that they would again encounter in the age of the resurrection. Jesus, as divine fulfillment of the law and the prophets, that was testified to by the presence there with him of Moses and Elijah, advances his claims to be the Messiah. This was both a metaphysical and a metaphorical mountaintop encounter. In light of this, if you will, the fact that there is truth that is on display and a further truth that's being pointed toward in this account, I wanted to take a look at what lessons the transfiguration might have for the body of Christ these 2,000 years hence. And one of the realizations which the transfiguration leads us to is noted by the Reformed theologian and missionary that we heard from last week, Leslie Newbigin, who said there is no more an ultimate dualism of matter and spirit because God has taken our flesh in such a way that he who has been seen as Jesus has been seen as the Father. And we, who comprise the body of Christ, we too continue to be transfigured. A commentator has once said of the North African church father, Augustine, his life work illustrated the power which the gospel has shown over and over again, a power to transcend human cultures without destroying them, outlasting them one after another through the centuries and providing its capacity to carry over into new contexts treasures accumulated in older societies. And that is just what I believe Christians today are called to be about to carry over the treasures of the faith into new contexts and through evolving and emerging means to be transfigured even as we are being transfigured. Just as Jesus was transfigured before the eyes of his friends, just as he was again transformed from residence within a mortal body to that of a glorified body which was the same and yet different just as his followers were transformed in their day from disciples into apostles, so too as the church, we've been involved in a very long-term transfiguration, both of who we are and how we do what it is. We've been called 
to do. And such a change is just what we are called to be about as heralds of God's new age, which he has inaugurated in and through his son, Jesus. Paul wrote the Corinthians, for we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said that light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That holds very true today, it seems, as we in the church are feverishly working to transform to transform our worship, our witness, our missions, our ministries from the comfortably established ways and means we've been getting used to to the constraints and the challenges posed in the midst of a global pandemic. The church and her people are in a very great transfiguration. It certainly seems to be the largest that's happened in my lifetime, and perhaps it's the largest since the Great Awakenings swept this land in waves of evangelistic fervor. Admittedly, all of this change requires a bit of work to keep up with. And admittedly, the majority of the church has, shall I say, a reasonably long amount of life experience already. The annual clerk's report was coming due, so this past week David and I spent some time reviewing the annual congregational statistics before submitting them dutifully to the mothership in Louisville. One of the sections of the membership report asked for a breakdown of the congregation by age. And no surprise here, the majority were in the last category that they provided for us. 75 plus. Now, we are certainly not unique in our demographic composition. I'd say that we look like the majority of mainline Protestant congregations nowadays. But the imperative of the changes that we are faced with demands that we sit not idly by and hope that someone else will take charge, step up, and make it so. We may be feeling a bit weary, a bit weak, and perhaps a bit overwhelmed and or under-equipped for this new load of work that we find ourselves faced with. I get that. Really, I do. I have a degree in communications. I have another in multimedia production. I've got another in theology. And I've done... Additional graduate work in adult education with a focus on distance education technologies and techniques. And I, too, am feeling woefully inadequate and ill-equipped for much of what I sense these sea changes require of me. So I have been reading articles. I have been watching videos. I have been attending all kinds of Zoom-based workshops written, created, and moderated by a range of experts, and that work is ongoing on a weekly, if not daily, basis. And yet, still, it often feels there's so much more that needs doing. And sometimes, it can feel a bit overwhelming. My point is that, yes, there is a big challenge facing us all 
in the church today. And yes, there is plenty of time, talent, and treasure that needs to be invested to begin addressing these issues. And yes, we are all, each and every one of us, called to do our part to respond as we are uniquely equipped and called to do. But, and this is a big deal here, despite however inadequate we perceive ourselves to be, rightly or wrongly, we don't approach nor engage this work by ourselves. The one who was transfigured for the benefits of his followers while on that mountaintop, well, he walked back down out of the clouds by their sides to continue their journey together. Not only was the Lord transfigured upon the heights, but his friends were transformed as well by their association with the Lord. This is what Paul writes about when he says, for it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's the one who's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, a reminder that it is God who is nourishing his people. It's fitting that we celebrate communion this day partaking in a mysterious transformation of items from the ordinary creation, consecrating them from the ordinary use, consecrating them for the extraordinary and sacred use. Just as the mystery of the connection between the natural elements of the fruit of the field and the fruit of the vine becoming for us the supernatural nourishment of the very body and blood of our Savior, the mystery of our own transfiguration can be quite difficult to make out. But most assuredly, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's already underway, and God will see it through to its completion. We are, as we proclaim in song this day, being changed from glory into glory. We have been, and we are, and we will continue to be transfigured. Like Peter, when faced with the challenges that he saw in Jesus, struggling for an appropriate response, we don't have to have it all figured out to receive the blessed assurance that in God's good creation, there is more than meets the human eye. Even though we can't see what the church is going to look like in the age to come, the Word of God in Scripture has given us a few glimpses of a transformed, redeemed, beautiful bride of Christ, even though we can't see what we are going to look like in the ages to come. That same Word has promised us that those who are of Christ are also in Christ. We are heirs and co-heirs of all that He has done and become. And he is the first fruits of the age of resurrection. Even now, we are being fitted for the life to come. Even now, as we are being fitted to meet the challenges that arise before the church, we are being fitted to be the church triumphant. For these and all the glorious transfigurations of the Lord, each of us find ourselves 
part of and privy to each and every day, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.